This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. This is Josh Rapoon, and you are listening to the What School Could Be podcast. Before we start the show, please consider joining the rapidly growing What School Could Be global online community. Simply install the What School Could Be app on your smart device or go to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I look forward to seeing you there. Also, I want to take a minute here to give a huge shout out to Mid-Pacific Institute's Brian Grantham, John Pennington, and Lance Nishimoto. These three technology wizards graciously worked hard to make today's podcast possible. Thank you guys for setting up the studio and doing your recording magic. In 2010, Hawaii Business Magazine began profiling emerging leaders in a process they called 20 for the next 20. Honorees come from a variety of backgrounds, education, nonprofit, healthcare, conservation, and banking. Many also serve on nonprofit boards or give back to the community in other ways. But all of them are poised to have an even greater positive impact over the next several decades. Today, my guests are three recent honorees, three remarkable leaders who will make Hawaii a better place in the next 20 years and more. In his 21 years at Chiefest Kamakehele Middle School, Kevin Matsunaga has taught over a thousand students how to use cameras and editing software and how to conduct interviews and tell stories. He emphasizes that the digital media program also teaches students important life skills, like how to work in teams, meet deadlines, communicate effectively, and solve problems. Our goal has never been to produce that next Spielberg, he says. It's always been to just give them opportunities that they would never have had in a regular classroom. Aaron Shorn, another 20 for the next 20 honoree says, being a teacher in this world is being a jazz musician you know your standards, you know how to perform, and then you just freeform it based on your student population. Aaron stumbled into his career as an educator. After college, he worked in international development and for a law firm. Aaron is the co-founder of Nalukai Academy, the former capstone coordinator at Hawaii Preparatory Academy, and head of growth and community at Unruler. The word entrepreneur is central to Shorn's approach to life and teaching. I define an entrepreneur as someone who owns their educational journey and their professional journey, he says. When David Sun Miyashiro signed up with Teach for America to be a special education teacher at Wahiawa Middle School in 2008, he didn't anticipate school would only be four days a week. The state's furlough Fridays policy was not only a controversial cost-cutting measure, for Hawaii's public schools, but also a catalyst for David's passion to improve the local education system. Nine years later, David started Hawaii Kids Can, a local advocacy nonprofit that advocates for equitable learning environments for all students. I always felt like the plan was not to settle down on the East Coast or in DC, but to take things I had learned and bring them back to Hawaii, he says. And now, here's my conversation with three of Hawaii Business Magazine's 20 for the next 20 honorees, Kevin Matsunaga, 
Aaron Shorn, and David Miyashiro. Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be podcast. My name is Josh Rapoon. I am your host. Today is a very special edition, if you will, of our podcast because instead of just me speaking with one guest, I'm actually speaking with three. And these three are not just any three guests. They're actually honorees of the Hawaii Business Magazine 20 for the Next 20 program. So with me today is Kevin Matsunaga, who's at Chiefest Kamakahele Middle School, Aaron Shorn, who is wearing many hats, which he will explain in a few minutes, but mostly Nalokai and Unruler, and David Miyashiro, who is here as the Executive Director of Hawaii Kids Can. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having us. So I thought we would start today's conversation, because you are 20 for the next 20, by just doing a quick check-in before we jump into the future. And Kevin, I thought we would start with you. We really want to have this as a a full-on conversation, but this is the kind of go-round-the-horn part. So, Kevin, you and I did an episode together. Wow, it seems like such a long time ago now. I think it was actually back in the beginning of this particular 2021-2022 school year. And I remember that one of the things that we really focused on in that episode was, you know, the skills and habits and dispositions that you feel all kids should have. And so, I guess my check-in question is, how did this school year go? And since we're still kind of in a pandemic, and how are you feeling about where you're at right now on the western edge of Kauai, which is the (laughs) western edge of the United States? How are you feeling right now as we come to the end of this school year? I am definitely looking forward to the summer to (laughs) kind of decompress and, you know, start thinking about next year. It's, It's been a tough year, I think. One of the things that I definitely have seen that has been hard to get used to is just the the lack of social skills Mm -hmm. that our kids have nowadays. It's like, I, I, you know, I'll start class and I'll say, hey, good morning, and then I won't get any response. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be like, oh, hi, you know. But it's been really tough to just get kids to talk again. You know, like when I, you know, pre-pandemic, I would complain about how, how loud the kids were or how much talking was going on. And then after the pandemic, it's like, now I'm kind of complaining about, you know, how much less I hear in the classroom. So that's been tough. Yeah, other than that, it's just, yeah, it's been a tough year. I guess tough would be a good word for that. What if, what's like one of the highlights of this year for you? I think definitely being able to work with, you know, the group of kids that I have. We just, yeah, I'm also the yearbook teacher, so we just finished our yearbook. Mm-hmm. We're getting ready to distribute it on Monday. And so, you know, it's their, this culmination of all of their work and things like that. We also had a trip that we were able to, to do in, in February where we brought 16 schools together around the state to compete and learn from industry professionals at our Hawaii hub for the Student Television Network. So putting that together was a ton of work. And a lot of people felt, oh, there's no way you're going to be able to get you know, these schools to do it, you know, in, still in a pandemic, but we were able to kind of pull it off and we, we showed that, you know, we can, we can do something if, if we put our heads together. And so it, that was really nice to see. It opened some eyes to some other people and we're hoping we can do it again next year. Yeah, all the Facebook posts about that particular gathering yeah. put a lot of fuel in my tank. Yeah. That was really fantastic. We had a lot of students that won from Hawaii. Yeah. And I think that that definitely helped, you know, they yeah. could see that we could we can compete. So. 
That's awesome. Aaron Shorn, this has been quite a two years for you. And in fact, this year has been quite a year for you as you made the move to Unruler. But that's just one of several things in your portfolio that you're working on. So what's the check-in for you for the recent past, the last year or two years? Well, I, I think about who's sitting with me, and I think about the only reason I, we've been able to do what we've done at Nalukai has been because of Kevin and others building out technical skills in youth and allowing Nalukai to be almost like an exhibition space for them, almost like a capstone, right? To put youth with different technical skills on a team and to see them shine. So many times we call our students founders at Nalukai. They talk about in the first couple of days how they hated group work because they were the ones that were doing the work and they didn't feel that reciprocation on their team and how Nalukai really flipped that on its head, right? The coder was with the graphic designer, with the cultural practitioner, with the project manager. And I think about, a lot about Hikino, and I think about Purple Maya with coding, and I think about the work that David does in terms of education policy and young student activists. And those are our cohorts. And so I think that the last two years has been thinking about the power of diversity in teams. And transitioning to Unruler, you know, for me, it was scaling what we were doing at Hawaii Preparatory Academy with our capstone program, allowing youth to have greater agency and say over how they collect evidence of learning and document learning, and, you know, scaling what we were trying to do with Nalukai, which is all about a hui, which is all about a community, right? How do you, how do you get youth to feel a sense of confidence and a sense of belonging, as most of their education has been almost like a colonial force telling them that they don't belong, that they're not worthy of getting their ideas out there. And so mm -hmm. for me, I'm just grateful to be sitting with kind of two, two champions of that work, and it will three in, in Josh Rapoon as well. And because these foundational skills and these powerful technical skills are huge. And then lastly, speaking to what you just spoke about, social skills and human connection and emotional learning, we've found over the last seven years of Nalukai are our most important technical hard skill, right? Like project management's great, lean startup methodology's fantastic, the skills of videography, but getting youth to be able to work in teams, to be able to have confidence and leadership in themselves, that is by far the hardest kind of technical skill that they have to capture. That's awesome, Aaron, thank you. We'll get into the teams part as we continue the discussion and as we look further into the future, because, you know, I'm definitely hearing that everywhere. I'm hearing it from every guest that I have on the podcast is this whole notion of working in teams. Kevin, you and I talked about it in our episode. You and I talked about it in our episode, Aaron, was actually quite a long time ago. It was almost two years ago. And then I know that this is something that David is working on. So David, from your perch as the executive director of Hawaii Kids Can, what has this year been like? And I know I do want to mention that you're coming into this particular day at the end of our legislative session with a number of big wins, big legislative wins in terms of education. So what's on your mind today? Thanks, Josh. I mean, first and foremost, when I think back over not just the last year, but the last two years, I'm just humbled and awed by our incredible teachers and students. You know, I think especially with students, it's important to remind them that, you know, this is, these are history book moments. Right? And we think, how did kids get through the Great Depression or World War II or all the tumult of the 70s and 60s? Well, for our students, they're doing that right now. And so, yes, these feel like heavy times and, you know, just a constant barrage of 
big earth-shaking events, but the fact that kids are getting through it at all, and you know, they're going to take some time to recalibrate and figure out what normal looks like. But you know, for every kid, every teacher, every member of the community who's just woken up and got through the day, that's something to recognize. And I know some, it doesn't always feel that way, but you know, we we certainly think that's important. You know, in, in the bigger picture, I think in terms of education, both in the classroom, but then at the policy level, you know, at the end of the day, what we have is a disruption. And so school has been one of the most consistent forces over the last hundred years where it's really not changed that much. And I think that was actually one of the points initially made by Ted Dintersmith is that we've had this model, it's worked since agrarian and then industrial times, and it's kind of worked, so we just kind of roll it out again and again and again. And this has, you know, been the great pause, right? And so I think there's a lot of interest and a lot of conversations about, okay, so we have this once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was tough. It was traumatic. But now that we've got everything paused, can we start to rebuild some of the blocks so it doesn't look exactly the same way, right? There are some things that we can integrate. You know, thinking about this legislative session, you know, fortunately, our Hawaii economy has been strong, and so there's more opportunities for funding so as of right now, you know, we've had great priorities, almost $3.6 million going to support kids to have new-collar, high-wage, high-growth careers in technology and innovation and really building out through their schooling experience this whole pipeline of not just graduating from a high school and then kind of try to figure things out, where do we go, or as Ted Dintersmith says, college being the most expensive you know, career exploration opportunity, but really having a sense of their passions, you know, their skills, and how do they fit within this broader global digital economy? Because I think that's the piece that is completely unwritten, and we have agency as teachers, as educational partners, to start to shape that together with students so that, you know, when we do look the next 20 years, the, what kids are doing today is really setting them up to be those leaders. And man, we need leadership right now. Mm. So David, that's actually a great segue to a conversation that we can have where we all have an opportunity to look into the future. You're 20 for the next 20. So maybe there's two things actually I thought that I would throw it on the table. One is for all three of you, is it foolish for us to even think 20 years out at this particular point? Point. That's one question. And the other one that really jumped to mind, David, when you were talking was that just in my experience, let's say over the last 10 years of being involved in reimagining education, we've all been just like shouting, we got to disrupt, we got to disrupt, we got to disrupt. And then we got the pandemic, which disrupted every possible thing. And I wonder if disruption has now become almost a force for evil at this point. So I wonder what that's about, and I wonder what, what you guys think about it. So there's those couple of things that maybe we take up the 20-year the thing first. What do you think? You know, when I first found out that I was selected for this, my initial reaction was, you know, I'm in my early 50s. Uh, in 20 years, I'm hoping I'm breathing, you know, in 20, <laughs> like let alone it's still affecting change. Yeah, it's tough to, to think about the next 20 years. It's, we've, we've seen so much change in the last two, some of it good, some of it bad. You know, it's, it's tough for me to think that far ahead. Does it do us a disservice, Kevin, when we start thinking about strategic plans that are five years and 10 years and 20 years out? Should we not be focusing right on the center? Or does that kind of future thinking where you're thinking 
you know, years and years in advance actually is it helpful in your mind? I think there's a little bit of both. I think you need to look at what's happening now and you're going to you have to address things that that you see in front of you. You can't ignore that and and think, well, it's a, it's in our 20-year plan. I think but then I also think you need to you know, having a 5 or 10-year plan does help with, you know, figuring out a strategy, figuring out, you know, if we need to go to the legislature for funding for different programs or if we want to see change, you know, we know that change doesn't happen right away. And so I think it's a little bit of both, you know, it's mm. not just one or the other. I mm. think we definitely need to look at, you know, what are our kids going through right now that we can address right now? And then where do we still want to see them in the next five, 10 years? And what can we do to, you know, change the way we're teaching, figure out new programs to introduce to, to allow kids to develop these skills or to reinforce them. But yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Aaron, isn't it kind of nutty to think that, you know, with the way the world changes almost from minute to minute, that we can do any kind of planning that's more than just weeks or months or a year out? I think about Pua Lincoln, who's one of the greatest educators in the history of mankind, currently teaches at HPA. When she was working with us at Nalukai this summer, you know, two-week program. She told the story of Pele and Hiyaka, and Pele sends her sister on this mission. Hiyaka comes back. She feels like she didn't get enough information. And Pele says to her, go, the sustenance you need lies ahead. And when I, when I saw that for the first time, I imagined this comma after go, you know, like a commandment. Like, you have to experience life. You have to makahana kaike, right? Like, you have to learn by doing. And I think that's sometimes our, how we plan in many ways too, is we look at you know, what we're embarking on, we look at the iterations, and then we have that reflection time that's really powerful. And I, I think about what we were trying to build out at HPA in this K-12 capstone program, where there were capstones in fifth, eighth, and 12th grade. And that allowed us to say, what, what capacities, what skills, what frameworks, what confidence K-4 do we need to get to for this space in fifth grade, six, seven, or ninth? And as we launched the senior program, as Pua and I and students were building out this playbook of what the senior capstone experience would look like, that was our form of strategic planning. How do we build these skills in 9th, 10th, and 11th to do justice to 12th? Because so many times in deeper learning or project-based learning, it's a deeply schizophrenic experience for students because schools are schizophrenic in nature. We believe in you know, allowing students to have agency. Now go take that AP test. That determines how you're gonna get into that school. Yeah. Right? They're two very different messages that are deeply confusing. And so for Pua and I and others it was, and Dr. Amy Cole, how do we build, you know, this experience so that when they get to an experience like, you know, yours Kevin or yours David, that they, they're trained for it. And mm -hmm. so I don't know if I answered the question at all, but I think it's to me, planning has to be rooted in the goal and then iterating based on the reality year after year. It sounds like what you're describing is a series of waypoints. Like I think totally, when people 100%. think capstone 100%. programs, they think, oh, it has to be a senior or a junior year program and totally. it's a capstone on totally. the end of K through 12. Yeah. But you're saying three, five and eight or three, eight and 12, right? Like that. And so these are waypoints and along the way, David, kids go through these waypoint moments and then you kind of keep on going. In your case, because you deal so much with legislature as part of the work of Hawaii Kids Can, it seems like we lurch from one session to another without any sort of coherent thought about where we're going. 
What do you what do you think about that? I think you know going back to this idea of waypoints and voyaging, right? That's where you need that north star. And I think as a policy person, that's why you know I will defend long term, maybe not plans, right? Not the implementation and here's exactly the things we're going to do, but having that north star. So for example, you know Hawaii state goal the 2045 go to 100% renewable energy, right? That's not going to happen overnight, and so that's the big goal. And then we can figure out what are all the activities that get us there. Or even last session, we were fortunate to work with the Hawaii Broadband Hui to pass the Broadband Digital Equity Declaration, which sets by 2030 to close the digital divide, right? So some of it is just pragmatic. We want to show folks, hey, we know this is hard work. It's going to take time. We'll have these little moments that are unexpected, but at the end of the day, we have the North Star, and that's something that no matter who's governor, no matter who's in the legislature, no matter who's running schools, we all have that to rally around, right? You know, and so I think for us, that's something to, to really think about in terms of for education. Do we have that North Star? And if we did, what would it be, right? How do we keep it general enough that whether or not it's kind of a technical change through, you know, one piece of legislation, grinding it out three yards in a cloud of dust, or we have something major and unexpected like a pandemic that shakes the whole thing up, then we can move there. Yeah, I think about, I've never worked in transportation policy, but I always find it interesting, the story of, you know, taxis and Uber, where before Uber is invented, you could work, grind day in, day out, uh, every legislative session on, you know, taxi cab regulations and policy, right? The change didn't come from that. The change came from the technology that came in and shook up that whole dichotomy, right? And so, similar, something that's something so bureaucratic like education, you know, maybe there's that thing coming that hasn't quite hit us yet, but once it comes, we can't go back, right? And so we're seeing a little bit of that with the pandemic. You know, we've heard anecdotally that there's a lot more interest in flexible scheduling mm -hmm. and virtual, you know, options, not necessarily 100% of my school, but hey, I want to take a class from a school in New York City because they're doing something really specific. How do I make that happen, right, as a kid in, you know, Ka'u, right? So I think those kinds of questions are just kind of like at that toddler stage, but we're, we're super close, I think, to, to cracking that nut open. What about our North Star? What is our, if we're playing the long game, David, which is what you're talking about, I think, right? The, these strategic plans, they come and they go, and as you said, many of them are very pragmatic. We're trying to get to X by a certain amount of time or a certain number of years. And it's a good thing, right? I mean, becoming energy independent or developing broadband access for everybody, those are huge things and take a lot of resources to get there. But the North Star, in your mind, what is that North Star? So, you know, to, to Kevin's point about thinking the next 20 years, I mean, you know, I have a one-year-old, right? So in the next 20 years, he'll be 21, which is kind of that prime transition from, you know, adolescence to a young adulthood to like real independent living, right? So if there are things that I can do today or tomorrow that make his life better in the future, you know, because he's got a more robust educational experience, then that's what keeps me waking up every day to do the work. You know, so I think for me, when I think about him specifically, you know, I want him to have access to you know, first of all, diverse people, diverse ideas. I don't think we can get anywhere if we're not willing to grapple with our history and talk about the tough stuff. I think that's really important. I think he can learn so much from folks who are local, folks who are in, in different states, folks who are around the world. And so I want him to have access to all those different ideas and all those different people. 
And I don't want him to feel constrained because something isn't physically here in Hawaii, right? Like, like I said, if, uh, if he wants to take a visual art class from a school in Brooklyn, go for it. If you want to take a music class from a school in India, go for it. And I think those are the pieces that I'm really interested to dig into because, again, I think the pandemic has opened the door in a way that policy never could have done alone. So, you know, for me, that's my hope. And ultimately, when I think about those things, it's because I want him to be able to live in Hawaii and not feel that pressure to have to start a career or have to go to school on the continent. I want him to get all those, you know, those skills and those different assets that maybe exist there, but I want him to be able to do it here in Hawaii if that is something that he wants, mm. right? And, and that is, I think, the opportunity that we have right now. Wow, this is amazing. This is awesome because David has a one-year-old, right? And you have two children, one children? I have two. I think yeah. I have two, yeah. You think you have two? That's right, Aaron. And how old are your kids? Alea is 10. She turned yeah. 10 May 18th. Yeah. And Kainoa is five. That's amazing. And Kevin, you have a son or a daughter? I have three. You have three. I have wow. three. So my oldest graduated in May with a college degree in travel industry management, and she's working in the industry. My son is currently a junior or finishing up his, his junior year at the University of Portland. And then I have my youngest is graduating from high school today. Today. Absolutely. And today. she's going to be going to Oregon State in computer science. So I'm on the opposite end of that yeah. spectrum. <laughs> right. So, so what is, what's going through your mind at this moment as, as this is unfolding here, you know, given the context of, you know, David's thought that when we look 20 years ahead, sometimes it becomes very personal because we're talking about my child who will be 21 yeah. at that point, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think as a parent, when they start to leave the nest, you hope that you've given them enough of a foundation that they can you know, succeed on their own where they don't need to call mom and dad for, for help with, with something. So there's a little apprehension in that, like did, did my wife and I, did we do enough? You know, are our kids ready? And you know, from the first two, I think we've seen definitely that there are some things that I think we've done well. Mm -hmm. And then other things that maybe we could have done a little bit better, but I think I'm excited for her. She, she definitely wants to leave. She wants to leave the state. She does not, you know, I had her apply to UH, but she just wanted to, you know, experience something different. And it's exciting. But I do think, you know, going back to what, you know, David said earlier about, I think distance learning is something that's going to be here. I think we can't ignore that. I think, you know, allowing kids to take classes outside of their own school mm -hmm. has to be part of the blueprint, I think. You, you just have some kids that just thrive in that. There's no substitute for, for having, you know, being in person. But I think in certain cases, you know, if you don't have the expertise in-house, but there's a teacher at another school that has that, why not offer that? Like, it, it, it drives me nuts that the DOE hasn't figured out a way to make their own online school. Mm -hmm. You know, just the DOE school that any kid from any, you know, high school in Hawaii could take classes, register online, and you would just have a cadre of teachers and they can, they can learn that way if they want to. Or just supplement, you know. Like, we've been doing this for two years. Why haven't they figured that out yet? So building off of that, because I'm just going to build off of everything yeah. you say. <laughs> You're my podcast muse. No. <laughs> um, that's why we formed Nalukai. Because Kealakehi does amazing things. And Honaka'a has an incredible graphic design program. And, you know, Punahou has these spaces in which they thrive. Mm -hmm. So what happens when it's not just teachers delivering that content, 
What's happening when it's students teaching other students? Absolutely. Right? And there's this concept in Hawaiian culture that you master something when you teach it. Right? And that idea of Zoped, where learners authentically learn better from other learners. So now you have a team at Nalukai, right? Where someone might be from Molokai High School, a student from Midpac, a student from Honaka'a, a student from Maui High School. And each of them have this incredible diverse skill set. Right? And so much of our work at Unruler on the digital side is how we allow youth and adults to capture evidence of learning in a much easier way. Mm -hmm. And how freeing and liberating that is when evidence of learning is not just writing or a test score, but it's video and it's authentic. And it's that kind of Humans of New York approach to education where you're connecting those spaces. And so that really resonates with me because when you allow kind of communal learning to occur and when you allow you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers and elementary students to see different perspectives and see different technical skills, it's, it's very freeing for them, right? Absolutely. Because they now have ownership and agency in that space. And I think it's, it's so interesting, right? If we think about this particular moment we're in, where I think for a lot of folks, this idea that the world is flat is becoming a lot clearer, right? Like, how does a war in Russia and Ukraine affect my price of milk and gas, mm. right? How does a virus that maybe originated from an animal in a Chinese market impact the last two years and all these different things I wanted to do with my life? And so I think for our kids, it's both leaning into those great opportunities that are only local, right? And so when you think about what do we want that local in-person experience to be, we're very intentional about it. If it's just regurgitating, you know, kind of PowerPoints and things like that that they could do anywhere, then maybe we, that's not the best use of our time. Even for companies, right? We're thinking about that. If it's, we're just going to have this you know, meeting where you're going to talk at me and it's basically a, a memo, then we don't need to be in person, right? We could be all over the world. But when we are in person, let's make it count, right? Like conversations like today, that is something that's special because we're in person. So I think there's something interesting there in terms of how all of that evolves. And I'm really curious to see, you know, now that I think some of the doors are open. I mean, we've had conversations, for example, with an organization based out of Ireland that's looking at peace and civic engagement. And they got connected to us through somebody who is on their board who lives in Kona. And so we're trying to figure out, is there a conversation that kids in Hawaii can have with these kids in Ireland who have this really you know, contentious history, and there's a lot of geopolitical forces there, right? And they can get together virtually and have these conversations in a way that I don't even know if we would have thought about doing back in 2019. So mm -hmm. that's my hope is that, you know, again, we can lean into here are the great things that are happening locally. And now how do we take that as, you know, wisdom and share it with others and they can share it back with us. Mm. You know, David, as before we go to break, I just wanted to share because I'm having one of those in Hawaii. We call it chicken skin. For the rest of you people out there, we call it goosebumps. I'm having one of those moments because I recall that when I first started teaching at Punahou, and that was, what, almost 27 years ago, there was a teacher there. He's still there, actually. His name is Eunice Peer. And he started talking to me about this thing called a threaded conversation. And I remember that at the time, the Punahou faculty was going through a really terrible time because something called email had showed up and they were really <laughs> having a hard time with it. And then there, were, there was something even worse on the horizon, which was the electronic report card. And that was going to disrupt things in a really horrible way. But Eunice was connecting Hawaii students with students in South Africa. 
using this thing that he called a threaded conversation, which now we know as chat. And at the time, I actually didn't quite grasp exactly what the technology was, but I knew right away that he was onto something that was truly extraordinary, that these kids in these two completely different cultures were going to have an opportunity to talk to each other and to build. And out of that actually came a program called Teachers Without Borders, in which Eunice used to take teachers to South Africa from Hawaii to teach math to math teachers in South Africa. And now we're talking about very much not a flat world at all. We're talking about a remarkable world. And I think, you know, again, before we go to break, Kevin, coming back to what you said and Aaron, what you said, it feels like, okay, so we have energy independence within X number of years. We have broadband within X number of years. And we have a world-class distance learning concept in place with practice as we go forward, let's say by 2030 or 2025, Kevin, right? <laughs> I mean, we can't wait <laughs> yeah, until 2030. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really should be 2023 mm -hmm. as we do that, right? Absolutely. So we can pick that up on the other side of the break. Yeah. So everybody stay with us. We'll be right back with more questions for David Miyashiro, Aaron Shorn, and Kevin Matsunaga. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at UNR ulr.com. Mahalo. Hey everybody, we're back with Kevin Matsunaga, Aaron Shorn, and David Miyashiro. Aaron, before we went to the break, David and Kevin were talking about their kids. What about your kids? What are you thinking about with your kids right now? Where are they in the great arc of life and as you, as a 20 for the next 20 honoree, what are you thinking about in terms of your kids? Oh man, my daughter is my wife. She has this incredible leadership quality where she wants to solve problems and help others. And she's a total social justice warrior. Mm. And regardless of the situation, she'll speak up. And I think a lot about her mom, my wife, Sarah Shorn, and what she's experienced in education, having to deal usually with some mediocre white men, administrators, <laughs> um, and okay. the struggle of that yeah. as a woman of color, um, and and how difficult, you know, just trying to innovate in education and make safe spaces for students is. And, and then I think about Kainoa, who's five, totally different kind of learner. I don't know what words we use, whether it's neurodivergent or whatever, but he has such passion and he wears it on his sleeve like his father. And he, his friends love him because his excitement for things gets them excited about play or about learning. And so I don't want that to be stamped out, 
You know, I don't want them to go to middle school and lose that, which happens so many times in education. I want them to have that joy and love and agency and empowerment. And so, mm. you know, I like like David said, I'm gonna I'm gonna work my ass off to make sure that that happens in education. So that's a perfect moment for me just to share my for my story because I'm definitely the oldest guy in the room here. You three young guys with your kids. My daughter Emma Rapoon is 30 about to turn 31. And I want to use just very briefly her story as a way of kind of segueing us to a slightly different way of looking into the future. So Emma's a teacher. She's been a teacher for about five years now, mostly for the young kiddos, for kindergarten, first grade, second grade. But this last year, she's been working for a program in the Bay Area called Vilda, which is, these are nature schools, or actually, it's a program that connects with schools to do nature immersion work, if you choose to do that, if you want to be a part of it. But they also have something called Nature Garden, which is actually a full-on sort of school, and Emma is the director of that. So she and a bunch of kiddos, these are kindergarten and first graders, spend all day, every day, four days a week, out in a massive state park in Marin County in California. And it's a naturalist's program. She's training these kids to be naturalists. And it has been just the joy of my life to follow this through her newsletters and phone calls and things like that. So I'm very, very proud of her. And I see her on that arc that you three have been talking about here as like she's making her way through and I don't know where it's going to go. But right now in this moment, she's very connected to the land. And so we've been talking, David, about broadband. We've been talking about energy independence. We've been talking about blended learning, Kevin, and you know, connecting through, Aaron, the internet to be able to use resources and connect with resources. I worry a little bit that the kids, you know, they've got shoes on. They're not connected to the land. That we're not doing enough to, quote, help them take their shoes off and understand that the world is not just about technology. It's not about the computers and the mics that we're wearing right now. And I wonder what you're thinking about as we go forward that maybe the strife that we're experiencing in our culture right now might be because there is a bit of a, a lack of connection to the land. And a lot of blame is being laid on social media and other types of platforms that are causing people to bring out the worst angels of their nature. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Maybe Aaron, you could, you could jump in and talk about that first. It wasn't until I put the work in to assimilate to Hawaii and understand its history and begin to learn its language that I found my calling as an educator. And when I started doing that, like literally on top of that Lai Lai Pu'u behind, you know, in Waimea, I realized the power of teaching and learning here. And I think so much of it resonated with how I grew up in Lesotho in Southern Africa and the struggle and hardship of, as a learner, moving to Massachusetts and leaving a communal learning environment and almost a communal sense of spirituality and hitting the mainland hard that when I moved to Hawaii, I was kind of transported back into those first seven years of my life. And so I think getting youth and, and getting children to feel that, to feel that it's powerful where you land, it's powerful here in Hawaii. When Nalukai did that, when we became a cultural, cultural and social entrepreneurship program, and not a tech camp or a Y Combinator for teenagers, mm. that's when we found our identity. And when cultural practitioners weren't just leading picos or talk stories at night, when they were the curriculum creators and they were board members, that's when we found our stride. And when we started using phrases like makahana ka'ike instead of lean startup or minimum viable product, it's when everything kind of resonated with our youth too. And so, you know, I think about how globalization has mostly been westernization, 
how it's been a colonial force in education around the world and how that's done a disservice to the evolution of the world and how knowledge and science that comes from Hawaii and Hawaiians and from all over the world needs to influence the West just as much as the West has influenced the East. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really powerful. I mean, I think for a lot of kids, the relationship with the land is really understanding kind of the interconnectedness of everything, right, and cause and effect. And I think sometimes when you see these transactional relationships develop or kids don't necessarily understand, you know, when I make this decision, it has this effect, a lot of that probably can be restored through connection with the land, right, and connection with the environment. And, you know, you mentioned kind of the social media piece. I mean, there have been studies that come out showing definitively that connection to social media all the time, you know, and the cyberbullying and all the other pieces that come with it. Those things are directly contributing to worsening mental health for our youth. And so, you know, I even love it when I'm emailing with a colleague and they're, they're saying, well, I'm actually going to be in the mountains for the next week. So if you email me, I literally cannot see it. And that is kind of the point, right? Is that is finding a way. It, it's only in those moments of quiet and reflection that you can get to really interesting ideas. You know, I remember folks writing about this idea that we found ways to never be bored, right? If I'm waiting two minutes in line to get coffee, <laughs> I can't just sit there and listen to the conversations around me, right? And look around and observe things put my phone, I'm going to text, I'm going to email, look at Instagram. And I think when we have that cycle where everybody is just on the treadmill constantly and nobody has time to step off and think about, right, be, be with their own thoughts in the quiet of that, I think that's where you lose a lot of that opportunity to think about the cause and effect and who am I and where am I in life, right? Because there's always something that's going to fill that void and take your attention away. So, yeah, I think that's where the power of nature and history and culture, you know, really could do a, a lot of healing for our youth. You know, Kevin, Aaron and I were part of a discussion a couple of days ago that was inspired by a Getting Smart podcast that Aaron did with a former student or actually a member of the Nalakai program, right, Trinity Asing. And one of the things that came up in that discussion, which is connected to this notion of place, is that when we start talking about place, many people kind of pull back because it's like, oh, I can't do an agricultural program. And, you know, they stereotype or they broad brush in that way. But what Aaron and, and I and this group was talking about is the genius of place and that that can mean many things. And I recall from the episode that you and I did together that the genius of your place all the way out on the western edge of the United States you have connected your kids to the genius of your place in many ways and in many, many shapes and forms. And I wonder what you're thinking about in terms of this place thing and keeping grounded when you're in a highly technological world. Yeah, you know, totally agree with what, what everyone has said, you know, so far. And I, I really think the things that we're doing in technology or digital media, you know, the different skills that are combined to create different projects, those can all just be applied to building a lo'i, you know, building... Or a tour or of your town. Or a tour of the town. With QR Absolutely. codes and the kids right? voicing. So those, yeah. those things, yeah, I think that's, that's one way in which, you know, students can develop this, this confidence and this, this sense of belonging is that when they take 
ownership in something that they're doing for their community. It's not for them, you know, and it might be a grade. It still might be a grade for something, but they see that it's, a, it's much bigger than just that. It's like, what am I doing to serve the community? And if I can kill two birds with one stone, oh my God, like, you know, like I can get a grade, but I can also do this wonderful thing that other people can enjoy and other people can experience. I mean, that's to me where it hits home, right? Mm. I mean, that's, yeah. Aaron, this seems like a great moment actually to briefly share the story of Trinity Asing and what she did with her market. Yeah, I think Trinity grew up connected to her culture. She had the privilege of going to Kamehameha School's Kapalama, which grounded her more in her culture. She created a farmer's market for kind of like a senior project at KS. And that was a core part of her application to this 2019 Naolukai cohort. And we could see, you know, the work that she'd kind of put in. She came, she did a great job. And talk about Pipeline, that year we created a fellowship with Purple Prize, run, you know, connected to Purple Maya, incredible work that Donna Mikhail Loa, Kelsey Amos, Alec Wagner, and so many others do. And so she went directly to adult startup team that was a part of their Purple Prize. She had such valuable marketing skills and digital journalism skills that she's the co-founder of that organization. She's not an intern, right? Her and Matthew Lynch from the University of Hawaii are building out this incredible digital and physical marketplace connected to Vivi Collective and other places. And so for Trinity, it's exactly what you said. It's confidence and a sense of belonging. It's the ability to manifest and form relationships and find mentorship. And Trinity was my guest. And my goal at 20 for 20 was to network the hell out of that experience for Trinity and for Malcolm Market, right? And I know we've all done that with students, you know, in our lives. And I think it's just, again, it goes back to relationships and it goes back to capacity building and it goes back to confidence. I wonder what you three are thinking about because you brought up Matt Lynch and wow, Matt Lynch, the episode that I did with him was just a mind blower for me. Because what Matt was doing, he's the director of sustainability initiatives for all 10 UH campuses, University of Hawaii campuses. And one of the shocking things that I found out in my prep and during the conversation with Matt is that the University of Hawaii, for goodness sakes, doesn't have a sustainability degree. You can't focus on sustainability and be accredited or certified in sustainability. So what Matt was doing was cobbling together all the courses and the bits and pieces of courses that would ultimately result in my being able to say to myself, well, I don't have a diploma in sustainability, but I got a diploma in sustainability, right? So I wonder what you're thinking about here, you know, towards the end of this conversation today about charting your own course. Like, how do we get to a place, and David, we've been talking about broadband and energy, and we talk about blended learning and being a model to the world of, of working in the digital space. How do we get to a place where we can be a model to the world of what it means to chart your own course as a young person? I wonder, David, if you want to, I know that's a big question. <laughs> Drop that in your lap right here. Going to be the um, leadoff hitter for that one. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, Going back to the, the, the idea of the course, right, and sustainability, I mean, I think for a lot of these kinds of elements, whether or not we're talking about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, or social-emotional learning, I personally don't think it should be a standalone piece. I think it should always be infused in everything. everything. And I think sometimes when we think about it as, okay, we're doing, we're going to do our SEL today, right? I think that's unfortunately missing the big opportunity there. And so, you know, I think for every degree at UH, if there is a sustainability requirement, 
Now that is a really cool world-class university that we're offering, mm -hmm. right? I just saw something recently, this is random, but Coca-Cola in the UK has just pivoted apparently to bottle caps that don't come off the bottle anymore. So it's a small thing where they found that there was so much pollution, so much damage from these stupid little bottle caps that they're now impossible to take off of your bottle, mm -hmm. right? And that probably costs the company a small amount in the grand scheme of things, but maybe it makes a big difference. So if you have everybody up and down, you know, the kind of corporate ladder, product development, you know, nonprofits, education, thinking about those little tweaks, I think that's where you see a lot of, you know, kind of big, you know, catalyst for change. So, you know, I think for me, again, I think there is a lot that Hawaii is already offering. And so through organizations like Nalukai and Purple Maya, you know, and Hiki No, where can we already find the assets that exist? And then let's do everything we can to infuse it in what, you know, the core existing institutions are. I think that's probably where we'll see that, that breakthrough. I wonder what pipelines existed for whoever it was that came up with the idea and through whatever process of, hey, let's not have bottle caps that flip off and end up on the ground. <laughs> what was that? How did that work? I wonder, wonder what you, Aaron, and you, Kevin, are thinking about how that happens. Like, because, you know, when I was in school, I just had to think like, well, I'm gonna, am I gonna major in chemistry? Am I gonna major in biology? Am I gonna major in history? It was just so narrow. There was no other pathway that I could chart towards that was towards what you're talking about, David, which is like, I wanna make a difference in the sustainability world. I wanna, you know, anyway. I think a lot of it is where, you know, you, you ask students to take a look at their communities and what are some problems that they're seeing? You know, is there, how can you better your community? Mm. You know, is there something that you can do, you know, not just report about it, but what can you do if there's something that you see, you know, if you have friends that are struggling with mental health issues and they're cutting themselves or they're, you know, doing destructive things, like it's fine to kind of, yeah, it's, make a video on it, but like, how do you get them to think more deeply into that situation to, try and come up with ways that, that kids can get help or ways to speak to the kids on their level where it's not some adult talking to them about, hey, you shouldn't do this, you know, because they're not going to listen, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of want, I think part of it is just like looking for, for these, these areas in which, you know, how can you give back? Mm. And if, what if that was part of every classroom, mm. you know? Aaron, you got batters on third and second. That was a double and then a triple, and you're at the plate now. And it just, it feels natural for you to be able to address this because it's so much of what Nalukai has been focused on, your capstone focused on this, and even the work of Unruler to help capture, allow for the capture of the journey is huge. It's all about the journey. I'm gonna bunt, yeah. but it's gonna be a really <laughs> bunt. Squeeze, Kevin. <laughs> You're coming home, brother. No, I think, I think, at Nalukai, we say fall in love with the problem. Don't fall in love with the solution. Mm -hmm. Because anytime you're putting something out into the world, it needs to iterate because you're going to get real data and feedback in there too. That has transformed what we do. Austin Stewart, our director of curriculum, Mesa Mali, David Clark, all these incredible people. We've really leaned into DEI and SEL as a lens, as a thread. Um, Hawaiian culture is a thread through everything we do, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of, you know, optics versus lens, right? Yeah. You know, one person who handles DEI versus an institution that Absolutely. is living it and leading it. Mm. And that's huge. And we talk about pipeline, 
That's my work. My work is pipeline. Hawaii has a huge concentration of nonprofits that many times get in each other's way. Mm. And so my work at Nalukai and my work at Unruler is how do we connect the pipeline? Because of you, we were able to do Nalukai, right? Because of your work, there were technically skilled students. If they don't have anything to go to next, that is such a disservice. It's, it's disgusting mm-hmm. that we do that to youth, that we do not provide an opportunity for what's next because yeah. you've created a spark in them, right? And then there's nothing to fan that flame. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's what happens after Nalukai. That's mm-hmm. been the evolution of our mm-hmm. nonprofit. Is it a year-round alumni program? Is it Purple Prize? What areas of the business community can we put them in? And I'm going to be honest, frankly, I'm extremely disappointed that business and education, industry and education, do not work well together. And no matter what HEC conference happens, no matter what work we do, no one is taking it as seriously as they need to. Mm-hmm. Right? We can talk about CTE, we can throw money at things, but that there isn't a pipeline for youth that come out of incredible program, programs like yours, or David are trained like yours, it really angers me that we haven't put the work in to do that. And Kevin, along the same lines, when you talk about making kids making that connection to problems in the community that where you can really go deeper, right now it feels like it takes a great teacher for that to happen. But we can't have just great teachers making that. All teachers have yeah. to be. And so there's a whole nother part that we have to look at, which is how do we get teachers to understand that this is sort of the default that we want, not the exception. This is everyone's job. Mm. It's not just that one teacher's job who has a program that does projects like this. I mean, I love what we, what, you know, everyone said about, you know, ingraining these things, SEL and think, you know, into everything we do. Totally. I mean, that's, that's how we have to do it. Like you can't just rely on that one teacher who is, you know, doing projects to like be your, your muse for the school. Like it has to be every single class. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it's not equitable. Yeah, exactly. Cause not everyone can take your class. Not everyone can go through or come to your school to do your program. Like we have to figure out ways in which those things are embedded in everything that we do. That's the only way you're going to see change. That's the only way. That's awesome. So guys, as we come down to the end here, I was just thinking that because you're all 20 for the next 20, which is, you know, I mean, Aaron, I, I totally hear you about business. One thing that I'm super happy about, and I'm, I'm being a bit of a shill here because my, I'm just admitting on the air here that my wife is a publisher of Hawaii Business, is that they're doing a great job, their journalists are doing a great job of covering education. Agreed. And if they're, if they're providing a service, Agreed. this is huge for us that we have this tremendous research that's being done that's resulting in these stories that are covering education. So I was thinking here at the end that this, this would just be an opportunity for the three of you to drop one more thought onto the table, which is that as we look into the next 20 years, and as you continue to do your work for the next 20 years, what's the thing that's kind of going to pull you forward as you go through that work? What's, what is that energy that's pulling you forward? And David, why don't I make you lead off again on that one? Well, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't plug uh, the Resilient Community Schools and Families Project, which is mm. a collaborative partnership that we're working with. And one of the things they're doing, to the points that, that Kevin and Aaron raised, is they have Ohana navigators that are basically concierges for the families and the schools to say, hey, all the resources you need are in the community, but you're too busy, you're too stressed to always find them. And so we're going to kind of help bring those holistic support. So sometimes it's not about inventing something new, but it's trying to figure out how to make things easier, right? And 
taking some of the pressure off of folks like teachers, right, and trying to leverage the capacity that's already within us. And also tapping into that idea of it takes a village. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so I think for me, I've actually been really encouraged by the level of partnership through the pandemic. I think it's forced everybody to get really serious about not only what they're doing, but why, and how can we do it with others to make it better or more impactful. And so, personally, I know in the work that I do, I am taking everything I've learned for over the last few years into the next 20, because I've seen firsthand just how powerful it is when you don't feel like you have to carry everything yourself, right? I tell the students, don't be Superman. Be a member of the Avengers, right? Be part of a team, because the, the team members are out there. They're great people who can bring something different and you just have to find them, right? And so I think for me, that is something that encourages me because I've seen there's so many great folks in Hawaii doing that work every single day. There are great folks around the world also doing that. And so I think if I can do anything to kind of connect the dots, to help build those connections, to put together the team, I think that makes me feel so much stronger because I know it's not on my shoulders alone, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think things like 20 for the next 20, it's not a recognition so much as it's a call to action, right? It's a privilege, but it's really, you know, a challenge that you have to take this great kind of springboard that you have and connect with folks from the cohort, connect with folks in the community you never would have talked to before and use it to actually take that next generation of work that hopefully you can build. That's awesome, David. I did an episode with Melissa Montoya at Kamaili Academy on the west side of Oahu. And one of the things that we talked about was her navigation center mm. on campus, which is an extraordinary concept, which shouldn't be extraordinary. It should be on every, on every campus. And it's just essentially a way for the whole community to navigate together instead of, you know, just dropping your kids off at school and hoping for the best. Kevin, what energy is pulling you forward over this next 20 years? And you'll be a long time with us, brother. So don't <laughs> worry, you know, don't be thinking that they, you're so. not going to get there. You'll so. get there. You know, I, I think just with the experiences that I've had with our students and providing different opportunities and seeing, you know, what a difference is made in their lives, I think that keeps me going. And, and the work that we did to put on this last sort of a Hawaii type of a convention, yeah. the work that our Hawaii creative media team did with PBS and getting that off the ground, I think that's, I'm kind of leaning towards that. I think, you know, I've been teaching for 28 years now, like, and it's, and I love it. It's getting, it's getting harder, but I love it. But I think, you know, in the next 20, I think I'm, I'm hoping that I'm in, in, in a position in which I am helping to connect and, you know, organize things like this because I'm not always going to be in the classroom. And, but I think, you know, through this experience, I, I enjoyed connecting the dots, getting people in touch with each other, making, you know, an event happen like this. And I think if I'm not in the classroom, I'm going to be doing something like that. That's great. And you know, Kevin, this is a great moment to do a big shout out when we talk about standing on the, the shoulders of giants. The shout out to Robert Pennybacker oh, at PBS Hawaii, yes. who is really the driving force and has been since the very beginning of Hikino, yeah. which is a student television news network that's now over 90 schools. And ten it's years. middle school, 10 years. Yeah. Just the number of kids who have gotten that experience. And, you know, Aaron, you talk about those skills that they carry through. The confidence. And, Kevin, and the confidence, they right? Grown, right? That this is staggering what that impact has been. And so, Robert, you know, if you're listening to oh. this episode, and I know you will be, 
shout out to you, man, because you've done amazing work. All of you and yeah. all of the advisors, including you, Kevin, you were the very one of the very first advisors to the Hikino program ten years ago. Mm -hmm. That all of those people, you know, David, referencing what you said, they all put their shoulders behind it and they made that thing happen. And it's huge. It's and absolutely it was, it was, huge. It's just incredible to, to, you know, back then for PBS Hawaii to see the work that was coming out of our schools and yeah. to say we want to support that. Yeah. And we not only do we want to support it, but we're going to put that in a prime time slot yeah. in our lineup, mm -hmm. provide the, and create a team to just work with students. Right. Incredible. And to ask for PBS level quality. To Absolutely. demand yes. it of to the demand kids. It. That just raised the bar raised for the everybody bar else. And I think yeah. that's why our Hawaii schools have done so well in digital media because we've, we've had that. Kept that bar yes. high. Absolutely. Yeah. Think of two quotes. The first, I believe, is from King Kamehameha III. Mine is the kingdom of literacy, the power of technical skills, and what that does and what that opens up for youth. And so because of what you do, Kevin, and so many others and a myriad of technical skills, it allows them to actually have opportunities because they have a skill set, they have a bucket to pull from. The other is from Audre Lorde, which is you can't take down the master's house with the master's tools. You need empowered youth to think about different ways of challenging the status quo. And you need programs like David's. You had this quote in your conversation with Josh where you said there's a difference between mobilization and empowerment. And empowerment allows them to have agency and to make decisions that only youth can make, that only people that have not been messed with or tainted with the status quo can think and ideate and create. And so it's going to take empowerment. It's going to take technical skills to have us survive as a society. And it's going to take the unique knowledge and wisdom that only Hawaii and Hawaiians can provide to get us through as well. Kevin Matsunaga, Aaron Shorn, David Miyashiro, thank you for being on the What School Could Be podcast today. It's truly been a great conversation. Appreciate all three of you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. Thank you so much, Josh. My editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurahara. Our theme music and musical interludes come from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. This series is underwritten by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the acclaimed documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Friends, these are uncertain and challenging times. The headlines, especially around education, can be relentlessly negative. Please bring kindness, compassion, innovation, creativity, and imagination into the world. We need a surplus of all of these right now. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take care.